places of the modern age. In the old times, in the old days, um, it was quite easy to discern the difference between true worship of God and the idolatry that took place in that time. Because in those days, if you were intent or desperate enough, you could sacrifice your child to Molech to futilely attempt an assurance of a good harvest or a good business deal. Child sacrifice. Sounds crazy, right? Or to praying to the totem of Asherah and placing it under your bed to garner luck in conceiving a child. In today's world, however, the objects of idolatry have taken a much more figurative form. In large part through the edification and worship of self, manifesting in the worship of institutions, of our fellow man, or even things within the church themselves. While not a distinctly American problem, we stand at the front lines of the abdication of the church over to the idolatrous ways of the world. So that's why it's entitled American Idol. Now, initially, whenever I first started writing this sermon, it was purely about the idolatry of self. But I realized that that may be the root, and we are going to discuss it, but there's so much more. It goes so much deeper than just the worship of self. It goes into the worship of other things as well. And one of the biggest ones that we've been facing over the past, I'd say several decades, is idolization of government. And it's been a problem, I'd say, for probably about the past 150 years. Uh, If... And it was even a problem back in the revolutionary days because uh, when the French Revolution happened, it, the, the, one of the mantras that was spoken by the revolutionaries was everything for the state. Instead of everything for God, everything for the state. So this, was, this is a common theme throughout most of history, but very prevalent over the past 150 years, especially with the rise of communism which I don't know if you guys know the book Rules for Radicals, which is basically the social implementation of communism was dedicated to Satan. I don't know if you guys knew that. It is literally a satanic principle. So what sort of things in government do we try and make idols of? Well, there's one pretty obvious one. Donald Trump will save America. Joe Biden will save America. Kamala Harris will save America. She's a word salad queen. But resting their trust, their, their entirety of their future, their trust, their, their lives, their sacred honor, their wealth, their fortune, their, their hopes in a person. My candidate will save us. You could insert any name. Your local representative will save us. No. Let's go to cha- uh, Psalms chapter 89, verse 47. Remember how fleeting my lifetime is. For what vanity, for what emptiness, for what futility, for what wisp of smoke 
you have created all the sons of men. We are all nothing. Everyone from the bum on the corner all the way up to the highest office in the land. We are all wisps of smoke. We are futility. So there is none greater than the other in the eyes of God. Now, there are those who follow the plan of God, and those are favored, but they are not greater. That's the difference. What's another line that you might hear? The Republicans will save us. The Democrats will save us. Communism will save us. Capitalism will save us. The Constitution will save us. That's a later one. We'll get to that one. Recently, you've heard the term, probably heard the term ultra-maga thrown around. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's funny that it took them six months to come up with that little, that little thing. But it's interesting because it's, it's, there are some people who actually believe that is their religion. They truly believe this as their, as their religion instead of holding fast to Scripture, instead of holding fast to God. This is their idol. With leftism, Karl Marx, Lenin, communism is their idol. It is their, their ultimate goal. It is their religion. Congress will save us. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed the scripture that was associated with the political party. So let's go to Acts chapter 19, verse 24 through 29. Oh, she's got it. Now a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of the goddess of Artemis, Diana, was bringing no small profit to the craftsmen. These craftsmen he called together, along with the workmen of similar trades, and said, Men, we are well aware that we make a good living from this business. You see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but almost all over the province of Asia, this Paul has persuaded people to believe his teaching and has misled a large number of people claiming that gods made by human hands are not really gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours will be discredited, but also that the magnificent temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and that she who, whom all Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned and lose her glorious magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Then the city was filled with confusion, and the people rushed together as a group into the amphitheater, dragging along with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's traveling companions. Now, I want you to look at the scripture for a second. But I want you to take Demetrius, and I want you to insert a party leader. And I want you to take Artemis and insert democracy or the Constitution or the rule of law. And I want you to take Paul and just view him as the opponent. You have the, you have the call to arms from both parties, literally mimicking Demetrius here. 
doing the exact same thing, saying they're trying, they're trying to take your jobs. That's literally what he's saying. They took your jobs. Trying to get people in up in arms to go against what they want. And you notice people will really tell you what they mean if you give them the chance. The first thing that he says is that we make good money. We want to keep it. We'll get to that one later, too. <clears throat> so political parties, just like anything with man, we have a tendency to corrupt even the, even the most innocent of things. <laughs> so we cannot rely on a political party to save us. Congress will save us. Well, not the political party, then Congress as a whole, right? What's their approval rating now? 21%? <laughs> That's kind of high. Yeah. Um, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, those are the two leaders of Congress right now. I wouldn't throw them, I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. Uh, Chuck Grassley and Mitch McConnell, about the same honestly. It doesn't matter which party is in charge. We, have, we seem to be barreling down the same path, almost as if our steps are ordered of God. But we can't trust and put our trust in men, even if they are elected to leadership. Now, does that mean that we still respect them? Obviously. We respect the office, just like they, you know, it used to be said, oh, well, you don't disrespect the president because you're respecting the office, right? Well, that's kind of gone out the window, but the principle is still the same. We respect the office, we respect the authority, but we don't place our trust in it. The Supreme Court will save us. Oh, did I do the script? I did not. My goodness, I keep skipping the scripture. I am so sorry. You did all that work to get those in there. I am so sorry. Second Kings 18.21 for Congress. Now pay attention. You are relying on Egypt, on that staff of a crushed reed. If a man leans on it, it will only go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust and rely on him. There's been many times that I've heard Congress referred to or uh, compared to Egypt. And I think it's a rather fitting one. It's like they have, their own, they have their own pet projects. They have their own interests. They have their own things that they're trying to get done. And you're just a number. So you can't rely on that. The Supreme Court will save us. This time we're going to do the scripture first so I don't forget it. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed with great evil is the strong man who trusts in and relies on frail man, making weak human flesh his arm, and those who mind and heart, whose mind and heart turn aside from the Lord. Once again, we're... It's, we're worshiping, the people are worshiping and trusting and relying on and believing in a group of people. 
mean, what does it mean to, what does it mean to believe in God? It means that you trust in him, you rely on, you believe, you, and you believe in. That's what it means to trust, to, to truly believe in God. So where do you place your trust? Where do you put your reliance? Where do you put your belief? Where do you place your beliefs? These are all things that can become idols if we are not careful. So what are some of the things that the Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade, don't get me wrong, I think it's great that we're tearing down the shibboleth of the damned of, again, sacrificing our children on the altar of Molech for financial gain. Everybody knows that kids cost money. What's the number one excuse for, not, for aborting a child? I can't afford it. There is nothing new under the sun. What's another thing? Oh, Jim Crow. Wait a minute. That was a really bad law, wasn't it? People trust the Supreme Court. The Constitution. Now, the, here's an interesting one. The Constitution was written by men, and it was inspired by Scripture. How much has it been, has it been reduced to ash by men? So we're going to rely on the Constitution, and no, we're going to rely on the source of the Constitution, right? We're not going to rely on the words written by men, but the ones that they were inspired by. And I don't care what anybody says. All 52 of the people who signed the Declaration of Independence were Bible-believing people. They try to say, oh, well, you know, this person was a deist. What is a deist? Someone who believes in a god. I'm sorry, that makes it pretty simple. There were no atheists who signed the Declaration of Independence and wrote the Constitution. There were none. What's another source of, of idolatry in, uh, in our world? Society. Yeah. Popular culture, society, things like that. Titans of commerce. Elon Musk. Elon Musk will save us. He's going to save Twitter. He's just a man. He is just a man. And Twitter is just a company. People, people who come from the other ideological side. George Soros will save us. Jeff Bezos. Bill Gates. Yeah, I have that one on here, but I thought I would take it off just in case he tried to have me killed. She liked that one. Let's go to that scripture for the Titans of Commerce. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money, that is the greedy desire for it, and the willingness to gain it unethically, is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through and through with many sorrows. What's the biggest what do we hear a lot of the people who are leaders in commerce, leaders in government, leaders in all that, what do they always talk about? Money, 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 money. It's all about that money, honey. It revolves around money. Everything revolves around money, around K Street. 
that's where the lobbyists are, for those who don't know that. Um, so if we rely on titans of commerce to save our society, to save our, to save our country, per se, we will be let down. Because once again, you're trusting in men. Leaders of opinion is another one. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22. Stop regarding man whose breath or life is in his nostrils for so little a time. For why should he be esteemed? I mean, CNN is seen as a leader of opinion. Fox News is seen as a leader of opinion. LeBron James is another person who's seen as a leader of opinion. You know? Uh, even Jordan Peterson. I like the guy. I think he's real close, but he's also seen as a leader of opinion. He's just a man. But people flock to him like he is a prophet. That's all right. We'll get to more spiritual leaders later on. Mm, yeah, that one's in there too. What's another... What's another thing? Social institutions. Social institutions. Entertainment. Uh, we already talked about commerce, so business. Entertainment. Uh, popular trends. Music. How many people will go to a concert or when trying to just get a ticket to a concert will trample over as many people as they can so that they can get a ticket. Thank God we don't have that much of that anymore because we can do it digitally. So you just trample over people digitally instead of physically. So, I mean, at least that's a little bit better. But they idolize. They create an idol. How many times have you seen, like, uh, you'll see, like, you see it a lot in movies. And it's a, it's a trope, but it's somewhat true because there are people who do this. They'll have a shrine, almost like an idol shrine, which is where that idea comes from, to a band or to a singer or to an actor or even to a love interest, yes. They are worshiping at the altar of this group, of this person, of this thing. God is a jealous God. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men. Those who are seen as wise in the world, their wisdom is given to them by God. They may use it for ill-gotten gains, they may use it for things that are not of God, but it is still given to them by God. Oh, I missed part of it. And knowledge to men of understanding. Sorry, the page break threw me off. What are some social institutions that can be seen as idols? How about universities? Educators? Churches? denominations. Those have social impact. 
I mean, how many mega churches do you know that have an impact on their on their society, on their on their community? Are they preaching the word? Or are they preaching an ideology that everybody wants to be a part of? And are they worshiping the creature rather than the creator? I'm not talking to anybody in here, right? No, nobody's ever done that. I've never done that. Never. I've never done any of this. Well, that person is dead, yes. But while I may not do them anymore, I did. And we all did. But if we are not careful, we can fall into that trap again. But we can also warn others about those traps. Because I, even recently, have been caught in the trap of, if we could just go back to the Constitution. No. Because it's here, then the pen. It's the heart first and then the pen. Yes, his law is written on our hearts. Where's the last place, and this is the most important and the most egregious, where's the last place where idols can be found? We've already done government. We've already done society. The church. Are there idols in the church? There are. There are. There can be idols in the church. How many, how much, what was the percentage that uh, Terry said? Uh, was it two weeks ago? Two percent? No, he said two percent. Two percent of churches preach the entire word of God. Two percent. The truthful entire word of God, yes. And in my research on the subject of idols, I ran across websites that preached the word but taught a lie. And some were in opposition to idol worship, but they still preached the word, but they taught a lie as a part of it to fit their narrative. Yeah. That's religion. That's not relationship. That's not God. That's man. Which comes to the first point, which is the idols out of ritual or preference, tickling the ears. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13 through 15. But woe, judgment is coming to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven in front of people. For you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are in, proce- in the process of entering to do so. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you swallow up widows' houses, and to cover it all up, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Woe to you, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel over the sea and land to make a single proselyte, proselyte, and when he comes, becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. What can be viewed as an idol? A sacrament can be viewed as an idol. How many, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, you have to get baptized otherwise you're not saved? That's an idol. Because it's faith in God. Abraham didn't get baptized. He believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? 
So that can be an idol. The style of preaching can be an idol. Well, I went and saw this preacher, and, well, he just didn't speak to me. It's not his job. It's not his job to speak to you. It's your job to get here from God through him. It is not his job to bring the word to you. It is your job to seek the word in his message. He is not your salvation. Christ is your salvation. God's word brings salvation. Word comes through, or hearing comes through the word. And word uh, faith comes through hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. Well, he's presenting the word of God. It's not his words that save. It's not the preacher's words. It's not mine. Lord knows I am nobody's savior. I am nobody's savior. What about the decorations of the church? How, how the church is adorned? I have actually heard someone say to me, well, you know, if the outside of the church doesn't look that good, I know I'm not going to like the service inside. If there's one thing that this church has taught me, it doesn't matter what the outside looks. It's what's in the heart. It doesn't matter how many pretty lights there are. Because it, it dawned on me that when the church first started, they weren't given lessons in the books like we are now. Like knowing the doctrines of the Bible or on the preparation and delivery of sermons. Now, are these things good? Yes, they are still good to learn. And I'm very, 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 very thankful for them because I would be so underprepared for what God has planned for me. But they didn't have light shows. They didn't have worship teams. They met in people's houses. It was just the sharing of the word and the spreading of the gospel and the, in, and the imbuement of power through the Holy Spirit. That was it. You don't need fancy lights. You don't need soft cushioned seats. There are people in China who must meet in secret and they're more on fire than 90% of the church that we have. They don't have light shows. They can't sing loudly. Some of them don't have Bibles. They've had to memorize the whole thing. But they can't even sing loudly for fear that they will be caught, imprisoned, and killed. And yet we complain, oh, they just didn't have my type of coffee. Idols out of pastors or thought leaders. So we did the opposite of the other one. He just, you know, I just didn't like his style of preaching. What about the opposite, where you like it so much that, I don't, have you guys ever seen Four Christmases? I know it's not exactly a good movie. That's an excellent example of precisely what I'm talking about. Her idolization of that pastor. Now, granted, there was a, 
a familiarization component to it. Yes, yeah, yeah, trying to keep it PG. There was a familiar... Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that she idolized this woman. Whatever, whatever he said was gospel. And forget what that book over there has to say. Whatever he says goes. Are there idols in thought leaders and pastors today? How many people would say that uh, maybe some people will take Rick Warren too seriously? Max Lucado? I'm going to really step on some toes here. How about uh, A.W. Tozer? Now, does most of this stuff line up with Scripture? Absolutely, it does. But if what he says disagrees with the Bible, I'm going with the Bible. Here's another one, John Calvin. There's a lot of people who idolize John Calvin because they don't go to Scripture whenever, whenever somebody's trying to argue with them. They go to John Calvin. So says Calvin, so goes the world. Spurgeon is another one, just like the Torah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's incomplete, yes. The Torah is incomplete. It was completed <laughs> by Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. What about idols out of worship leaders? <clears throat> oh. 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 This one hurts. It's not my job whenever I sing songs up there. Just like Pastor said, and he didn't even know that I was going to talk about this, and this is literally the last thing in here. He did not know that I was going to talk about this. It is not my job as a leader of worship to bring you into the presence. Your job is to bring it through the door with you. The Spirit is within you. It is not coming out of my instrument. It is not coming out of my mouth. It is in you. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your spirit is within you, and it bubbles out of you like a living spring. And the only reason that the Spirit comes in the church is because we are gathered together in one accord And there is an overflow of the Spirit because the people have come prepared. It doesn't matter what you sing as long as you come with the Word. It doesn't matter how well I sing it as long as you... And I'm not not pointing you guys out. Okay, I'm just just pointing, okay? I'm not trying to... I don't want you to get messed up. I just want you to receive it. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter how many effects are on this keyboard. This keyboard is nothing but ash. It doesn't matter how good Sheila sings or doesn't sing. She's just, man, she's she's just a person like anybody else. You bring the Spirit. You bring the power. You bring... (laughs) 
let me let me ask you a question. On the day of Pentecost, when they were gathered in the upper room, did it say, well, because Peter was praying so hard, the Spirit of God fell on everybody else? Or John sang a really good song, and that just filled everybody with the heebie-jeebies, and the Spirit fell? How many people were there? 120 people. How many of them were praying? 120. How many of them have been in that room praying for 50 days? 120. You show up. You bring God with you. You show up prepared. That's why whenever he was talking about private worship and corporate worship, I was like, please don't take my sermon. When's the last time that you worshiped on your own? When's the last time you read the Bible on your own? When's the last time that you thought about God on your own? That it wasn't brought up via the radio by listening to Air One. When's the last time you ruminated on His Word? When's the last time you really sat down with God and listened to what He said? not just, praying is not just words flopping out of your mouth like a, like a typewriter. It's a two-way. It's not a typewriter. It's a two-way radio. You got to listen. So do you listen as much as you talk? So I can sit there and I can say, oh God, I'm having such a horrible day. I just need a break. There's just so much poop going on. I just can't do it. And he wants to tell me something. I'll say, okay, thank you, God. I'll see you later. It's a pretty one-sided conversation if you ask me. Mm-hmm. But the crux of all of it, the big portion of all of it is, are you worshiping yourself Are you worshiping others instead of the source? Are you worshiping the creature rather than the creator? And the worship of self, self self-love, self-care, I disregard myself. Why? Because this body is nothing. It's falling apart. It creaks in places I didn't know you could. Oh, I'm already getting used to it. She gets to listen to me gripe about it, too. (laughs) This body is nothing. Just as Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. Vanity, vanity, meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. Without God, it's all meaningless. This building is meaningless. This body is meaningless. This mind, I value my mind above everything else that this world has or that this body has. Let me rephrase that. Obviously, there's very valuable things in this world that I value far above my mind. Two of them are sitting right there. But the thing in this body that I value more than anything is my mind. 
that this mind is nothing. It's meaningless. <laughs> Unless it is focused on God. He is the source of all things. Everything that people idolize today, including themselves, is from God. So are you focused more on yourself than God? Are you focused more on government than God? Are you focused more? And that's, I'm talking to myself on that one too. Because I've caught myself talking about that and thinking that way. Are you focused more on popular culture or what this world has to offer? Are you, are you focused more on that than God? The scripture for this last one is Daniel. No, no, not Daniel. I kind of didn't do the scriptures for the last few, but this last one is very important. It's Psalms chapter 22, verse 3. But thou art holy. O thou art thou that inhabits the praises of Israel or the praises of your people. I think my version is a little bit different. Nope. Now, I used the original King James because it uses that word inhabits. Here's the thing you need to understand. That works both ways. God inhabits the praises of his people. But if you're not praising God... That idol inhabits your praises. So if you're worshiping government, if you're praising government, the government's going to inhabit the praise. You're not worshiping God. And I've asked myself many, many times in social things and things that I believe constantly, checking myself against Scripture and against the Spirit, testing the spirits. And I'm not going to lie, a few weeks ago, the doubt popped into my head when it comes to abortion. Am I really on the right side of this? Am I focusing too much on the life of the baby and not having a compassion for the mother? And then about four days ago, I think I told Pastor about this this morning, four days ago, the Satanic Temple tried to make an argument saying that for religious purposes, abortion needed to be legal so that they could have their child sacrifices. I think I'm on the right side of this. You know, it gets a lot easier to see the devil and the idols for who they really are when we start praying for the light to show because it can only hold up the, the, the pretenses for so long. The devil can only hold it up for so long because he cannot fight truth. He cannot fight life and light. So these shibboleths of idolatry within our society are being torn down in front of us. And we should be thankful 
Say, thank you, God, for tearing down the shibboleth of the Supreme Court and saying that they will save us from our own sin. No. That shibboleth is being torn down. We return to the source. Donald Trump will save us. No. He's just a man. We return to the source. Exactly. Mitch McConnell will fix everything. Exactly. No, he's just a man. We return to the source. Elon Musk will tell me how I need to live my life to be successful. No, he's just a man. Return to the source. Well, he can tell you what to invest in, but it's just ash, right? Without God, it's meaningless. All those things, it's nothing. Without God at the source. That's why I keep saying we return to the source. We return to the source because He is the source of all things. He is the foundation of the world. <laughs> you guys have been awfully quiet. I'm surprised you haven't added more. I know, I know John's back there, been back there just itching to talk. <laughs> Anybody else got anything? Any ruminations or thoughts? No? Okay, all right. I guess that means I said everything that needed to be said. Or at least I'll take it that way. <laughs> yep, keep yourself free of idols. So, a good question to ask yourself, and I, and I have started doing this on a fairly regular basis, is who am I worshiping? Am I drawing from God? Am I drawing from the source? Or am I drawing from the tainted stream? Am I pulling from the tree of life, or am I pulling from the poison tree? And I implore everyone in this room, everyone who's listening, everyone who, who hears this later on, on podcast or whatever, ask yourself, what am I coming from the source? What source am I coming from? What source am I idolizing? Where am I placing my trust? Where am I placing my reliance? You guys, have a great evening. I'll pray. Lord, I thank you for giving me the words to say tonight. And hopefully those words have uh, illuminated, made some revelation, or brought some encouragement to the hearts of those who are in this room, to the minds of those who hear it, and the hearts of those who hear it later on. And Lord, I pray more than anything that you would continue to bring light to this darkness that has surrounded us for many years. I see the light, Lord. I see your light coming. And it is shining bright. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And Lord, I pray that when we come into this service, 
on Wednesdays, on Sundays, on Sunday nights. Lord, we come prepared to meet with you, but not to be drawn in, but we bring it with us. And Lord, I pray that as we go out, you will inhabit our praises to you and that you will show us where our praises are going or whether they're going to you or they're going to something else. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done for us and for me. Thank you for showing me the way with your goodness and mercy, you have renewed me. You have renewed my mind. And you have renewed the people in this room, Lord. You have given them a new mind. You have given them a new heart and a new spirit because they have come to you for restoration, Father. And Lord, as we continue to go out, I pray a hedge of protection around the bodies, around the minds, and around the souls of everyone in this room that they will be the bulwark against darkness, the beacon of your light, and the messenger that you have called all of us to be. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.